0: stay a while amid the British charm that is called my brain. I'm a journalist and pastor in California, but don't hold that against me, I wasn't brainwashed. I chose to leave my atheism on my own accord, consequently after two sips of Kool-Aid. But that's for another time. These opinions are my own, most of the time. The humour was learned of a book I found in a hedge, and the dreamer in me, well, she's here to stay. So, you're very welcome. Friends, Romans, countrymen, so lovely to be back here. I don't know why I'm talking like this, as if I'm English, all of a sudden, from 1942. But I have been in England, I have been in England for a very long time, in fact I'm still in England, and I'm recording this in my study in my mother's home in Lincolnshire. In fact they've just been uh, filming the, I say they just, they've just released obviously The Crown. As you know, I'm a huge fan. And um, they actually filmed some of The Crown, apparently, at Burley House, which is not too far away from here. And of course, I love to take a picture of myself in front of Burley House and pretend that it's my home. So if you see me on Instagram, jetting across the lawn of Burley House, that's not my home. It's a farce. And um, my mother actually lives in a semi-detached two-bedroom bungalow. So there we are. The truth is out. I can't do a truth teller podcast and not telling the truth, can I? But of course, I'm not going to tell you my address because that might get me shot. So today I want to talk about deconstruction. It seems to be one of the most e- what's the word I was going to say? What's the word I was going to say? extravagant conversations, I think I'm seeing at the moment, Um, not by those who are deconstructing themselves, but by the ones who are watching their friends, relatives, uh, co-workers go through bouts of deconstruction. And it is creating a huge amount of fear through those that are watching. And so I actually wanted to help today you to understand the process of deconstruction. I wanted to um, eliminate some fear around the word and the actual activity of deconstruction. And for you to differentiate the difference between someone that's just leaving their faith versus someone that's just questioning it, there is a difference, believe it or not. And I'm sure I've shared on many occasions, and many of you have heard me ever preach or speak, you know that my 20s were actually filled with a, a substantial amount of years of not just questioning my faith, but leaving the faith. Um, I went through what they would suggest is a deconstruction, but I would suggest it was actually just a full-on removal of myself from anything to do with the church, God, and anything to do with any kind of religion. Now, what I've noticed is the most sort of common denominator with those who are going through deconstruction is normally it, it precipitates or goes straight after a very traumatic experience, a loss, a tragedy, a divorce, something that has completely um, shaken up their entire foundation of everything they knew to believe. Many people who had saved themselves from marriage had been two worship leaders that married each other and had high hopes of this blissful, beautiful married life only find themselves nine years down the road in a space of complete nightmare. And they would have attached their sentiments and their religious faith to the experiences they had in their marriage and therefore left both. And so I need you to understand if you're someone today who's really questioning, really worried that you're seeing a lot of behaviors take place because of this deconstruction, I would like to propose that actually the deconstruction is a side effect of a lot more pain that's going on. But I also want to just share with you, not just perhaps, you know, some of the pillars of what happens in deconstruction, but I also want to give you some of the the stages of spiritual development, because it might give you some comfort at least for those who I know there are plenty of people out there who have been hurt from, from the church. I know there have be people that have been hurt in their community. I'm very aware of massive splits that have happened. I'm very aware of huge temptations that have been given into by pastors of late. And now everyone is questioning what's real, what's not. Do I really have to hold on to my entire faith, onto just Jesus? And is everything else around my faith just a complete farce? Um, people are leaving churches. People are absolutely divided on political understandings. Um, I myself have been facing an awful lot of criticism by just being related to and connected to Bethel Church. I um, did an interview with uh, someone who was actually a Republican only a few months ago and witness a huge amount of commentary underneath that I don't really go looking for that stuff. Believe me, it's never a good path to go down. But what I noticed is the most frequent thing that I'm I'm witnessing with many people that are living in the church. People are leaving the church not because they're questioning the goodness of Jesus, they're questioning the goodness of the church and the kindness of the church. And in what I've witnessed to both my friends and myself as pastors in both my environments and other environments, I'm starting to see that actually The very fall of the church will not be down to people choosing to not believe. It will be down to the fact that Christians are being persecuted by other Christians. Let me say that again. It will be down to the fact that Christians are persecuting other Christians. It's rife right now. And I see the religious church, and when I say religious, I mean legalistic Very controlling, very rules based, never asking questions, never seeking to understand, never mitigating conversations, but instead blasting at people in their own demise, in their own conclusions, in their own case studies that have nothing to do with that very person. I've been absolutely obliterated online because of my affiliations with the church that I function and work for, function for, work for. There have been things that I've said in a sentence and it's been completely misunderstood or completely misinterpreted. And when I'm very aware that we are in one of the most grief stricken periods of our particular era after this insane year that we've had, I'm very aware that the individual will receive and give out some of the cruelest blows they've probably given in the last decade. So I'm, I'm coming back with them with a lot of silence and a lot of compassion, thinking you're hurting, you're grieving. If you're this gung-ho for me, who you've never met, who you've never reached out to ask questions for, then it says to me you're in a lot of pain and I love you and I'm sorry that you're in so much pain and that I had to be one of your targets for your abuse. And what's interesting to me, though, is if I didn't have such a strong faith that had weathered the storms, dare I say it, of even deconstructive periods of my faith then I'm not sure I would've wanted to stay around to watch this cat fight that keeps on going between Christians and other Christians. I've got a friend over here that is doing the most substantial work on a project that is praising and elevating the power of testimony and working on a thing called the eternal wall. And I've never seen one man get so persecuted by, dare I say it, a bunch of other Christians who are criticizing the fact that we are building a wall in testament and celebration to the power of answered prayer. Podcasts, people who are accusing people of financial ruin on some level. I'm just utterly dismayed by what's going on. And what it says to me are two things. This is not the era of information. This is the era of wild assumption created a bunch of pieces of information that actually don't fluidly work together. This is the era of no accountability. We can write and say I can do a podcast on anything right now and there could be thousands of people believing it. I could tell you about a sexual harassment case that never actually happened. I mean I'm not suggesting that people out there that are saying these things aren't, are all lying. But what I am saying is there isn't a huge amount of validity, there isn't a huge amount of current evidence or proof to what a lot of this slandering and cruel commentary is coming from, from church members to other church members. And so I'm saying all of that because what you have to be aware of is that when people are leaving for one reason or another and they're starting to deconstruct their faith, please watch for a minute the power of what one person can actually do, the power of compassion, the power of grace, the power of allowing these people to actually go on a journey of where they're asking honest questions for the first time. Maybe they were brought up in a very religious household that didn't allow them to ask questions, that made them believe that they should and absolutely must believe in God or else. Maybe they didn't get the chance that I had, which was like my, my parents dedicated me when I was a baby, which essentially meant, you know, we'll bring her up as a Christian, but she gets to choose when she's an adult. And I was very grateful for the fact that my fa- parents, even though they are Baptist ministers, never ever forced their faith on me. They just let me watch the fruit of their faith. And that was enough to keep me going until I recognized I, n- I never wanted to ask the questions. I was feeling so dishonoring. I felt like I was, um, uh, almost a rebel against the cause of a good God, if I would even ask the questions. But what I realized was when it came to suffering, i.e. when I lost my father and a consecutive bunch of other people that died, over that time, I didn't have the personal intimacy that actually is strong enough to allow those questions to come up. I didn't have the theology. I didn't have the answers to the questions because I always felt very wrong to be able to ask those. And one of the things I always hoped as a pastor when I was passing full time in the church, and even today, is that I'm a safe enough place for an atheist to come and talk to me and ask me the hardest questions that might flummox or throw off a very dedicated religious person. I'd like to believe that I'm a safe environment for any hardcore questions. And that was one of the reasons why alpha was created that lovely home study course that was done by um, members of the church and people of the faith but in their own living rooms where there might have been trauma or hurt that has been caused before by the church and so we created these spaces at home in the living rooms to be able to ask the hard questions and what happened well millions of people came to the lord through alpha And I do believe there's probably about 7 million courses that have happened over the space of the last decade or two. And so for me, I think it's a very important stage of our spiritual development is to actually to ask questions. And so I want to talk a little bit about what are the four stages of spiritual development. That's going to be the main part of this podcast. But the first part are really just to highlight some of the pillars of where people wish to deconstruct their faith. So the six, there are sort of, this is the theory, this is one of many theories, but this is one theory that I I quite um, appreciate in the sense of the deconstruction questions that come to me normally go under one of these six pillars. So number one is obviously the validity of the Bible itself. Was it 100% true or are there paradoxes? Are there... Prophecies that don't make any sense as we look towards into the future and go beyond what was written of the of the context itself. Number two is the eternal torment, the idea of hell and the lack of its appearance in the Old Testament. Number three is uh, PSA, also known as penal substitutionary atonement. It's only arrived in the last, centu- uh, last few centu- uh, centuries. Um, and this looks at God's wrath being so great against man's sinfulness, and that Jesus had to come and take a bullet for us, receiving the full glory of God's wrath to the cross, so that now God can love us and forgive us and the view that suggests, that view basically suggests that Jesus mostly saves us from his father and not from our own sins. I know some of you are probably laughing about this thing, (laughs) but the reality is that is one of the pillars of which people start to deconstruct their faith. The fourth is, of course, that fantastic textbook question of suffering in the world and why does suffering happen to poor, innocent children? Um, The fifth is the end times hype and a lot of the eschatology of which you see many, many churches fight around, of which I've been sadly facing in uh, the green room and television studios when I'm going on as a guest panel to talk about being single and I'm sort of cornered in in a green room somewhere asking um, what my senior pastor currently believes about eschatology to which I think my senior pastor would often go well, whatever the last person told me which I think was a great answer quite frankly because you don't want to get into that conversation if you can help it <laughs> the fifth, the sixth one is the church itself, Uh, the kindness of the church, the tenderness of the church, the politics of the church, the power of the church, the control of the church, the crowd control of the church, all of the elements that we uh, personally get to face on a day-to-day basis. You wonder why pastors freak out or get stressed. It's because we are very aware that our own leadership, our own pastors towards, and our own kindness towards each other um, very much has a heavy weight on how people experience their own faith and their own personal uh, walk with the Lord. Those are the six pillars. Am I going get, to get into them? Absolutely not, because I don't want my inbox filling up a thousand times, quite frankly, over this podcast. So there's that. But I would like to talk a little bit about four stages of um, spiritual development. Now um, M. Scott Peck who wrote The Road Less Travel he wrote uh, another book after that called The Different Drum and he actually talks about these stages a lot more, fleshes these out a lot more but I'm going to give you the sort of basic um, drum line of each one. Uh, Stage one of spiritual development would be considered as the chaotic and the antisocial stage. So it's basically where you're actually unable to love others beyond what they can do for us. They have very little self-awareness. Um, they're often governed exclusively by their own will, which vacillates according to their current needs. How do they get what they want without having to give up anything is pretty much the main question on that one. Now, what I've often noticed is a lot of people come into the church on that stage one, And um, if they don't have the curiosity to find structure or wisdom, or indeed have discipleship, which I think is probably one of the most formidable and important parts of our faith, is to be discipled and to have discipleship in our life and to disciple other people. We'll often find that a lot of people get saved, have this wild salvation moment. They come into the church, they're in their chaotic antisocial stage, they're still looking for a lot of people to get their needs met. So they're, they're listening to an awful lot of boundary talk and having your voice be heard, which, of course, is very important part of the stage of our own understanding and maturity. But at the same time, a lot of people get stuck there and they don't look at serving other people. They're not thinking about growing themselves, taking ownership or indeed taking the humility to take ownership of some of their actions. And so they might even say there, and if the church doesn't meet their needs like that, which often they won't and perhaps they shouldn't, then they may just leave. They might stay, and they might indeed conform to the second stage, which would be the formal institutional stage. That's basically where we've gone from no rules apply to everything is about rules. That's where we're concerned about what is right versus wrong, what's good versus evil. God is eternal from us, and if we want to avoid being punished, we need to obey his dictates to the best of our abilities. We have this rigid mindset, and we think we have all the answers stage two goes out to those who've been criticizing me um doing um a show with eric metaxas that's just just for you guys there just gonna leave that to sit for a moment love you stage three comes into the oh now let me just mention one more thing about stage two stage two and of course hear me out this is not gospel what I'm sharing with these stages. This is more social analysis. This is more psychoanalysis that is basically been observed by many studies, by many theorems of therapists and sociologists and people that have, uh, have just been studying the ways of the cycle of spiritual development. Stage two, however, also you can stay in stage two for all of your life. Just to be really clear, you could actually stay within that mindset of rigid rules and uh, legalism. The Pharisees stayed in this part, which is why they were so wildly offended by our Lord. But also you notice there are some Pharisees like Nicodemus that were actually intrigued by Jesus's concepts, that were actually intrigued by his teachings, and knew there was an anointing, knew there was fruit on what he was saying, enough for him to go and see Jesus at night. So the torment that Nicodemus must have gone through in regards to being very aware of the rules and the regulations, the formal institutional um, era of which the Pharisees were in, versus his intrigue into the mysticism of who our Lord was. And so stage two is where a lot of people stay. And the reason why I say a lot of them stay, and you'll know when they're still in stage two, is when they're incredibly judgmental towards other people who are saying they're believers, but coming up with slightly different theologies or coming up with slightly different ideas. Or even, dare I say it, they are getting very vile towards people that are falling apart and are falling away and are messing up. And somehow stage two makes them believe that everything that they believe is right everything that they, um, they have biblically sounded every argument to judge, to be cruel, to be unkind, to stop asking questions because they've built enough self-belief and self-confidence through the power of the Bible. And that is the stage where I was coming in as a stage one, chaotic, antisocial, looking really for some help because I was in a lot of pain. And I stayed in stage one for a long time in the church, but I was meeting a lot of people in stage two who were really judging me for what I was doing, whether I was sleeping with my boyfriend and living in my apartment at the same time as going to church on a Sunday, fair play. Come and have a chat with me on that one. But the reality was I didn't have anyone loving me really from the church. It wasn't until a bit later when I had people that loved me exactly in the stage that I was at because they were in a further level of their spiritual development than my mess didn't freak them out. In fact, it made them come closer because they actually had the ability to ask why. And I've said this before, we need to start asking why are people doing things, not just judging them on sentiments or statements. We need to ask why they're saying these things. Because if you start asking questions, you'll get a little bit more knowledgeable. You'll get a little less judgy (laughs) and you actually start to maybe even learn a little bit from them. Stage three, the skeptic and the individual stage. So believe it or not, stage three is more spiritually developed, possibly not as religious. In fact, definitely not as religious, definitely not as legalistic. Stage three are often introduced to the stage through disappointment or disillusionment. Many will describe themselves as agnostics or atheists. Highly principled people who are deeply involved in their communities with social causes are often in stage three. They're often seeking truth in some active way, which means they're getting very involved in asking questions to promote growth. Now, this is where it gets complicated. A lot of people, after they've been hurt by, let's say, stage two religious folk or the church, or just general tragedy. Maybe they've had very caring, very loving people in the church, but they've experienced deep suffering. And because they haven't had enough space to ask questions, to grow themselves, to take the humility, to actually recognise the failings and the flawedness in us, um, to actually not be discipled so much, but just sort of sit here, crossed arms, and just be fed with information to make us feel better on a Sunday. Well... What we can do is leave the stage two and actually just rebel and leave completely. And so that's why a lot of them go into an agnostic or an atheistic state. They don't really care to ask questions anymore about all of the six pillars perhaps that I've given you. Perhaps they've just had enough hurt already. And in their statement, in their exit, they are declaring to the church or to the community or to the very person that hurt them or indeed to God themselves because they believed that God was gonna be the answer to everything and God is the answer to everything but doesn't always give us what we want. (laughs) He certainly didn't bring me my dad back but I've come over the 17 years since he's gone to learn and understand, to grow and spiritually develop in very different ways. And I think What happens in stage three is if they've been deeply impacted by love, by kindness, by all the fruits of the spirit, if they've been deeply impacted by the modeling of the gospel, not the chat, because the chat only goes so far until the modeling escapes the person that's been preaching, we always want to see who's practicing their preach. We're never interested in someone that has a great gift of the gab on the microphone, but is rude to, the, to their assistant or cruel to someone nearby. We're always looking, we're always waiting, we're always watching for when they're at the precipice of adversity to see how their faith is really doing, right? And so if you're at stage three and you're skeptical, well, one of the greatest gifts for me actually was having a philosopher from Cambridge that I'd asked, and I've shared this before I know, I asked him to sit me down as a philosopher in Cambridge and I knew he believed in Christ. I wanted him to tell me reasons why I should believe in Christ after all of the death that I'd gone through. I'd been praying for half of these guys to not die on me and they did. How do I, and equally they were robbed from me suddenly, or they were killed in a motorbike accident at the age of 40. There were too many experiences that didn't make any sense to me anymore. And I really needed to believe, I was on that pillar that I talked about in regards to suffering. I needed to understand how we had a good God that could allow me to go through so much suffering. And so I I genuinely wanted to try and hold on to this faith because I had seen really great fruit from other people. Despite some of the legalism that I had found in the church, I had actually, I had, I was surrounded by my mother who was patient and kind and incredibly still and very peaceful, full of joy. Slightly nervous sometimes, but she was honest about it. And there would be times where I would see my friends honour each other in a relationship or really be kind and honest and communicative, that they really served each other, they really made sacrifices for each other, whereas I wasn't having that in my relationship at the time. And so I became enamored by the actions of these people, but I needed it to be deeply guttural in my own experience, my own soul in order to really feel authentic in my belief and statement that I was a Christian. So I sit down with this philosopher two years after my father had died in a hotel and I said, I need you to convince me of the existence of God and why I should believe in him. And he actually refused to, which was a very brave move. But this was a guy that had gone through a lot of adversity himself. This was a guy that had seen a lot of people have a secondhand faith is what I call it. It's where we have a faith that was given to us by a parent (laughs) or it was given to us by someone that we really look up to. And I was holding, I was white knuckling onto my secondhand faith. And I think my friend didn't want that for me anymore. He wanted me to have a real one. And that meant that I was gonna have to ask tough questions. It meant that I might have to feel what it was like to not have God in my world at all. We had a four hour conversation over coffee and I remember leaving the hotel where everything was black and white, everything was monochrome all of a sudden because I I had chosen not to believe in God. Everything felt meaningless, but weirdly in some way it also felt like a relief because I was finally being honest to what I was really questioning and really feeling. Did that need to happen? No, it didn't. Just to be really clear. I think I could have actually had a conversation with God if I felt like it was possible to. I think I could have continued having a faith even with these questions if I felt it was possible to even have these questions in church. If people in stage three are asking enough questions, deep enough questions, they might find themselves no longer going to church, but they might actually have a fellowship of community. They might just have dinner every Sunday instead of going to a major church or an institution that they felt just so lost and lonely in. They actually were longing for fellowship just like our Lord does and is and will always do with us. Longing for fellowship and discipleship with each other is a much more intimate, much more necessary part of our faith. And so when I hear my friends go, I haven't gone to church for a year, I'm not worried. As long as I know that they're still seeking his face and they're still seeking intimacy and that they're still looking for fellowship with other people that are following in the same things as we are. What you will often find is if they're asking enough questions, deep enough questions, they will find themselves at the most advanced stage, which is basically stage four. And that's the mystical state. It's the mystery. It's the fascination. It's the stage our Lord was at when he was here on earth. It's the stage that can frighten a lot of people. But I would say one very important part of this stage When people go away from stage three, they can often start to justify their behavior to harm others (laughs) and themselves. And what I mean by that is we start getting a bit reckless. We start going off the bandwagon because we're revolting against the rules and the legalism that were really blanketed out there for everyone. not, Not a personal, individual, father to child chat. It was a blanket statement that if you don't abide by these rules, we will push you out. It is the very moment where we see a pastor give in to a temptation and he sees his entire congregation leave him because he made a mistake. That's not how the church should be. The church needs to come close. We need to cry together. We need to grieve together. We need to cover each other. We need to have honest conversations. We need to ask the questions, why did that happen? We need to find accountability to make sure we're saying apologies where we have to. We need to make sure we're in a a space that we actually want to grow and want to take ownership. But the problem with what we've had between the stage 2 and the stage 3 is that we revolt and we want to go away and just blank our minds of anything that we had from church because it's too painful, it's too traumatic and quite frankly it's a grief to itself. We often see the leaders get too puffed up and willing to have the feedback which makes the entire process worse. We often find that churches because they become so big, start to believe that, well, haters are going to hate. So they ignore the, the response or the, the conversations completely. I'm very aware that when certain pastors get too big for their boots, they also become too big for a meeting that has been requested of people from outside of their churches, people in the city, people in major cities that are asking for a quick conversation because they've just seen an action between a church leader and someone in their congregation. It didn't seem to add up. Can we have a quick chat, please? We need to be as humble as we possibly can to never feel like we're ever too big, no matter how big the anointing, no matter how big our role, that we are always willing to be be taught, to listen, even if that other person doesn't believe in the Bible, even if that person <laughs> doesn't have the capacity to talk to us on the same theological level, we must never be too big for our boots. What's interesting to me is that even the Son of God was never too big to have those difficult conversations. And if he had to have them in public, he'd have them in public. But he'd also be very happy to be approachable and have them at night. And I think it's very important for the nocturnal world that we make sure our door is open at night, For those that have questions, that are too frightened to ask them during the day. But we can't create that environment if Christians are fighting with each other and criticising each other and being brutal on YouTube (laughs) or being brutal on Instagram or being brutal on Twitter. I'm really tired of seeing the Christian church be only in stage two. Because if you really are spiritually developed, you will be at the stage four which is the space where we're not afraid to acknowledge the enormity of the unknown, nor do you have to reduce mysteries of the universe down to palatable known quantities. Dare I say it, God is bigger than the Bible, and so we don't start using the scripture to bash each other, but we actually use it as a form of encouragement, of edification, of a way to build each other, not to shun them down, nor to shame them, nor to condemn them in the name of Christ. Sometimes people in stage four will dedicate themselves to a religious order, but often they can't find that religious order. And instead they actually create more in individual ways, much like our Lord, dare I say it, who created a new form, a new movement that actually created, therefore, a more personal intimate relationship with us and God. But please understand, I'm not suggesting that we all leave the church and start creating our own movements in the middle of our living room whilst watching Sky TV. That's not what I'm saying. I'm actually saying that there there has to be something bigger than the church right now. And that has to be the intimacy of our relationship between God. My intimacy with God was definitely strengthened in the many intense questions I had with him. My relationship with God has often strengthened, much like when we have a very honest conversation with our friend, how we sometimes feel a bit closer because someone took the more humble road. Someone reached out like our Lord always does with us and was willing to listen when we were really mad. That's the power and the beauty of the the fruit of the Spirit is often echoed in those that are the most spiritually developed Now, when people leave the church because they're so hurt and they start deconstructing themselves, they don't necessarily go into stage three, sceptic and individual stage. They go back into chaotic and antisocial stage. They don't get to a point of stage three where you are asking those questions, but it's always to promote growth. And growth should always mean that you're hurting people less, not more, less. Me starting to question my faith didn't mean that I could start being this wild crazy promiscuous chick which by the way wasn't the case i didn't do that i was in three long-term sexual relationships over my 20s but nevertheless i was still bitter which i still think is as bad a sin (laughs) as all the other sins out there i think bitterness is actually one of the most brutal sins that is completely overlooked by a lot of the church and they don't recognize it when it's coming out towards each other one of the reasons why I get so wound up by the religious types and the legalistic types is not because of how they are with me. I can handle that stuff. I've been it myself. So I can handle it. I know exactly where they're at. But what hurts me is when I see other atheists that were about to come back in, or we're reconsidering coming back to the church, and it all it takes is one argument, one foul commentary thread, one ridiculous opinion after another. That's just just not having any results. There's nothing effective coming from those conversations. And if anything, it's robbing all of us from the fruit of the spirit. And so when you're getting into this mystical stage, when you're starting to get to a space of really going above and beyond, people are able to tolerate emptiness emptiness more. So let me say that again, people are, are able to tolerate emptiness that comes with not having answers. There is a maturity that happens in stage four, and it has been happening all the way along, right? But stage two, the legalistic bunch, <laughs> they're not comfortable with being unknown about stuff. They need to know, they have to know, they have to have all the answers. But how many times have you found a grandfather or a grandmother that just takes you for who you are? and the crazy ridiculousness of your immature immaturity in your 30s and 40s even. <laughs> Never mind your 20s and your teens. But they just love you. They just come in and just wrap their arms around you, just so happy to see you. They're not looking at the annoyances of what you've done today. They're looking at how far you've come. And you know, if anyone had looked at little Carrie and seen all that she'd gone through, I'm not saying this is a victim. I counsel people who've gone through a lot worse. But if they looked a little Carrie and how much she fought to be close to Jesus, how much had gone against her by the enemy to try and completely destroy her entire life, how much they'd honestly chosen to look into all of the complexities and the adversity of life and still found me talking about the goodness of God, they wouldn't be so brutal. The problem is they're still hiding behind their rights and wrongs. their good versus evil. And they've lost the tenderness of the mystical stage. That means that there are some things in the grey. There are some unknowns. There are some questions that we won't get answered this side of heaven. I know I've got plenty. But I'm also still looking for the mystery and the beauty of who he is. I'm also looking for the kindness that drops in moments where we're faced with extreme adversity. I'm looking for the ones that aren't expecting from others anymore. They're just wanting to serve each other. And we're losing that in our generation and the ones to come. We're losing the art of self-service because we're constantly looking as to how we can be impactful and influential. We're not looking to serve. If you want to be influential, sweetheart, you want to start serving. You want to start helping and providing solutions to problems. And those in stage one and two don't bring solutions to problems. They become their own problem. To which we have to, in stage three and stage four, start to find solutions for them too. (laughs) This is my attempt of having a solution to stage two. But don't be too worried about the deconstruct phase. Ensure that you don't um, look at someone's Instagram account and decide where they're at with Jesus right now. Maybe start having individual conversations. Maybe start reaching out to people that you actually really care about rather than making a surmise or a judgment call on how they're doing based on what they're putting out there on a social media account. If you've got friends that are just going off on an a wall, if all of a sudden they're just reckless with their lies, they're going to need someone that's steadfast. They're going to need someone that has character. And you know, one of the things that's really been irking me more than anything else, (laughs) can you tell, (laughs) is that this, and I wrote about this on my Patreon account, this utter lack of original thought that seems to be happening because of the stage two phase and the stage three stage as well. Like both are constantly wrapped up in opinions. And I've had to ask quite a few people to stop sending me more viral videos or more biblical things, sermons, opinions, news pieces, video evidence, just constant, 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 bulldozing everyone's DMs with opinion. And I've started to ask two things. One, why did you send me this? And two, how are you doing? How, how are you? I think, I can't remember the last time you told me how you were doing. Well, that's inconsequential. Is it? Because I'm actually feeling really lonely here. Not because I haven't got my DMs blowing up, or I haven't got my phone blowing up. I'm feeling lonely here because and it's nothing to do with isolation or the pandemic. I'm lonely because we're not asking each other how everyone's doing, really. I'm I'm lonely because I miss experiencing fun with you. I'm lonely because I don't know what it looks like to help each other out. Instead, we're just, instead of looking at ourselves or her, or helping our brother or sister, we're just looking out into the world and and finding someone to shoot with our tongue. <laughs> I've started to tell people that I'm not I'm not available. It's not because I don't want to talk to them. It's because they're not talking with me. They're just shooting me a bunch of opinions that weren't theirs in the first place. And I love original thought. It's what I breathe in of his glory. It's it's how I discover more of him is through other people's original thought. And of course it has to be biblically backed. But sometimes it can't be biblically backed. Sometimes it has to be backed by the fruit of the Spirit. Not just the Bible, but it has to be backed by joy, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. And so when we're going through this deconstruct, and if you're someone out there that is deconstructing right now, as a pastor, let me tell you this, you're allowed to ask these questions. The Lord gave you free will and he gave you the space to ask these questions even with him. You may have been clouded in the possibility to have a conversation with God because of how the church have been with you. But I do ask you of this, please don't lose the very gift that we were given which was our Lord Jesus Christ. Because I know that four or five years that I was an atheist, whoa, I lost my best friend and it still hurts that I chose that route. But thank God he resurrected into my life again. And thank God that I finally found the humility after my massive God complex that I had to sit down at the back of the garden and go, you know, I, I, I can't help but think about kindness. And if I think about kindness, the only one person I keep coming back to beyond those that I love dearly in my life was, dare I say it, Jesus. The teachings, everything, all had substance to kindness. And now I'm asking myself, how often he talked about his father And how he only did what his father did. And I just need to know for a minute that you saw the details of my life. Because I went through stages where I didn't believe that you did. And in that moment, a white butterfly landed on my nose and I was smoking a marble light at the time. And It echoed the white butterfly that came out of the flowers that was on my father's coffin during his funeral. Came up and flew over my face and up into the steeple. I know that everyone else in the church saw it, so I wasn't hallucinating. But of course, as an atheist, I checked that one out too. No. Deconstruct all you want. I'm not worried about you. (laughs) Because... If your faith was really ever real, if it was really original, if it actually came to you through the substance of your own hunger for beauty, for kindness, for joy, for love, for meekness, for gentleness, for faithfulness, for goodness, then you'll find him. And you'll find him with a much more original, much more forgiving approach. One that isn't filled with a thousand opinions. One that isn't filled with brutal slating towards another's choice of words or lifestyle. No, your faith will make you much more inclusive and kind. Your faith will love everyone. Your faith will forgive everyone. Your faith will not slam out other people. No matter what they theologically think. Your faith will be the very making of you. But it has to be real. It has to be authentic. And I know my God is very, very big. (laughs) And I'm not worried when people go through these questions because the Lord always answered me. And he gifted me with really brilliant, beautiful people that modeled grace, kindness, honor, respect, trust, and freedom for me to choose, finally, what I really believed was in my soul and in my destiny. I asked all those questions, the thousands of questions in each pillar (laughs) that I read out at the beginning of this. And after all of that, and I could argue Christians under the table because I'd read both the Bible And all the new atheists and the new new atheists. But in the end of the day, I came back to my obsession with kindness. And I can't think of anything more kind, more brutally kind, than the power at the crucifixion and the cross. And with that, let them come home in however they want to. And whichever way your friend, your relative, your work colleague chooses, no matter what they say, no matter what offends you, internally ensure that you always react in love. Do you always react with questions, not statements, not more opinions, and only ever give them the truth if they really, really want to hear it? But other than that, just keep loving them. Because they deserve that. You deserve that. I deserve that. We all deserve that. We all deserve that. Thank you so much for listening to the Carry On podcast. I've so loved your messages. If you're new to this, um, then I'm on Instagram at Carrie Gracie. And you're welcome to DM me there. I do read my own messages. We do have a little team that helped me out with it as well. And we have a Facebook page that is called Carrie Lloyd, funnily enough. So uh, if there's anything you want me to talk about, if there's anything you wish to get in touch with us about, uh, then you can also go on to www.carrielloyd.com dot live that's my um main website where you can contact us through there um, always a pleasure never a chore darling